And now, from the gleaming spires of Chicago, broadcasting across the multiverse, from the heights of Hlidskjalf to the depths of Niflheim, from the MCU to the DCU, from the slopes of Mount Olympus and beyond, you are tuned to the immortal sounds of Radio Free Asgard. And hello, everybody, and welcome to Radio Free Asgard. This is episode number 348. We're coming at you, as always, from beautiful Chicago, Illinois. My name is Tom Harris. Welcome along to the show. So I'm back from vacation. Did you miss me? Nah, I didn't think so. Anyway, (laughs) yeah, so coming back from a week away, a little bit of uh, relaxation, and now back to the the old grind, including uh, making a new show this week. And uh, yeah, it was nice to be up in the Tennessee mountains for a few days and just kind of chilling and and visiting with the family. And yeah, that's what it's all about. All right. So I don't have a whole lot else to talk about. I've been off the grid for a little bit. So we do have an issue of Hercules Unbound to cover. So let's go ahead and move along to our review. Hercules, hero of song and story. Hercules, winner of ancient glory. Fighting for the right, fighting with his might. With the strength of ten ordinary men. Hercules, people are safe when near him. Hercules, only the evil fear him. Softness in his eyes, iron in his thighs. Virtue in his heart, fire in every part of the mighty. Indeed. And this week we are looking at Hercules Unbound, issue number 10. Cover date is May of 1977. Cover price is 30 cents. Cover art is by Walt Simonson, I believe, inked by Bob Layton. And this is the first really identifiable piece of Walt Simonson art that we've had in the series so far. And as such is kind of the best cover we've had so far. Anyway, so Hercules is fighting against... The Atomic Knights. Yeah, this is really, I think, the only time that this series crossed over into another property that you know, we would be even vaguely familiar with. Of course, the Atomic Knights at this point were kind of out of the DC universe, hadn't been seen for many years. But here they are, and we do have the um, yeah, three of the Atomic Knights, and there's a, looks like a tsunami or something happening behind them. And Hercules is in the foreground fighting one of the other atomic knights who appears to be on fire. And he's got a sort of like a glowing around uh, the knight character. And he's hitting Hercules and there's this kind of explosion. It says, exploding water, a thousand times more deadly than a hydrogen bomb. Well, I'll believe that when I see it. And we have a prologue as we open up the issue, and we have Hercules, Kevin, and Jennifer, and they are uh, burying David Rigg. Um, I don't remember him dying last issue, and I'm pretty sure if you go back, he didn't, so he died in between issues. Anyway, so uh, they're back in London, apparently, and uh, they're burying him in a uh, cemetery that looks very unlike anything I've ever seen in London. In fact, London itself looks a lot like New York City. But anyway, 
<laughs> they're, they're burying him. Kevin is saying, I, I don't want to believe he's really gone, Hercules. Dave Rigg was a brave and gallant lad up until the very end, says Hercules. We must always remember him that way. And they dump all the dirt on the coffin and they heave up a, a, a tombstone, like a Celtic cross sort of thing. Uh, so that would be that. Now we are three, says Hercules, as the three of them stare down at uh, the grave. And we have a uh, scene shift, and we see three scientists. It says, at that very moment, only a few blocks away in one of London's few remaining laboratories. And uh, these uh, three scientists, there's uh, kind of a one big fat bald guy and one real skinny guy. And yeah, so anyway. They're they're diverse in the way the comic characters sometimes are. Anyway, and the old guy goes, um, The sample is in position. Let's begin. The laser synchrotron will be able to dissect the fragment in six-tenths of a second. And says a full four seconds later, I don't believe this. It's resisting the laser. But look, it's bubbling all over. Wonder what it... And there's a giant sploosh, and this water... Erupts up and destroys the entire building that they're in. It, it looks like a a whole skyscraper has been destroyed by the uh, just a big explosion of water, the giant sploosh sound effect, and the title of the story is "Water, Water, Neverwhere." Carrie Bates was the writer. Walt Simonson and Bob Layton are the artists. And we shift back to where Hercules is, and um, they notice this uh, liquid cataclysm, as they, they call it in the, the caption. By the gods, says Hercules, by such an explosion, even Vesuvius seems tame. So apparently this giant uh, spout of waters is going up in the air, uh, just is kind of flying up in the air. Noting an urgent need for drastic action, Hercules rips apart a nearby lamppost as if it were a toothpick. That water must come back down. And when it hits, a titanic flood will follow, unless it has a place to flow. So Hercules creates, I guess, basically a giant trench for all of the, the water to go into. And he creates that trench by taking a lamppost and just throwing it. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, interesting that. But anyway, it says, with scarcely a second to spare, the hurled lamppost gouges out an instant trench, just as splash. Uh, it all comes back down. We see a bunch of people kind of going, ah, kind of running away from the from the water. And uh, apparently they're at Heathrow Airport because there is a big building here that says Heathrow Airport on it. You know, like Heathrow Airport has, if you've ever been there, right? Uh, anyway, so, <laughs> so uh, somebody comes out and he's wearing a black suit and he's like, blimey, look at the shoulders on that bloke. I say there, young man. You saved our museum from being caught in a dreadful mess. And, and Jennifer is talking to these people. Is like, could you hold off on your congratulations another minute, fellas? I think I hear a voice. And it says the voice is of a lone and mortally injured survivor. And it's one of the scientists. He's going, help me. And he's trapped under uh, the rubble that was created by this giant water burst. And Jennifer and Hercules and... Uh, Kevin are running towards him. Do something for him, Hercules. He's under all that rubble. 
The ruins I can lift, says Hercules, but the gravity of his grave condition is another matter. I fear we are too late. The gravity of his grave condition. Hmm. Okay, that's not great grammar, but okay. No, don't try to talk, says Jennifer, and it looks like she's reached into the hole and is kind of dragging him up. I, I must. We, we chipped a sample of an unidentified substance, and exactly five seconds later, you saw the results. We were getting reports that there was more of the substance over in America, in the Great Lakes region. But we heard it could be found in blocks, 20 size the size of the fragment we found. So, yeah, so it's, it's obvious what's going on here. It looks like all the water on Earth basically has been compacted into these blocks of concentrated water. So, okay, uh, I guess it's the exploding water that they talk about on the cover anyway and that was the uh last words of the dying scientist and we get an ass shot of uh jennifer she leans over the dead body of this uh, scientist and she says to hercules if a tiny fragment of that stuff causes this much damage think of what a whole block of it could do we've got to go to america and warn people and how do you propose we traverse three thousand miles of ocean girl that's your problem you're the big hero You'd better come up with something, too, or I'll build a raft of my own. I mean it. And uh, the one of these uh, people was listening, the one, the one who has the museum that was saved, he says, uh, I couldn't help overhearing. I'm the curator of the museum. If you'll just follow me, I think we can be of a bit of help here. Have you ever heard of the Northrop YRB-49A? I thought not. Perhaps it would be best to describe it by its nickname, the Flying Wing. And they come across this, yeah, this obvious big airplane, big flying wing thing. It's an authentic replica of the original, exact in every detail. Trouble is, none of us is qualified to fly it. Let me take a crack at it, Herc. Just put me inside. And this is, of course, Kevin the Blind Kid who's saying this. And uh, so Hercules helps uh, Kevin into the airplane. And uh, Hercules is saying, I swear, Kevin, sometimes you are more headstrong than Jennifer. And uh, the caption says, Amazingly, Kevin finds his way to the controls in a very short time. No easy trick for a boy who is completely blind. And uh, they're waiting outside for Kevin to do whatever he's doing. And Hercules turns around. He says, What was that noise? Would you believe jet engines warming up? So Kevin is inside the flying wing and his hands are glowing and his hands have also apparently become disembodied and are not in proportion to the rest of his body, but that's okay. And his hands are glowing and he's saying, I knew it. Somehow I knew I could do it. It's like my brain is electrically linked up with the mechanics of this thing. And in the next panel, we see the flying wing taking off with a varoom. And uh, takes off into the sky. He did it! Kevin's flying! So he is. But there is no means of making me step aboard a vessel that looks more like a boomerang than an aircraft. And how would Hercules know what a boomerang is? That's not something they had in ancient Greece. But anyway, uh, moments later, we are in the cockpit of the flying wing, and Kevin is flying this thing, and his hands are still glowing. Don't be such a sourpuss, Hercules! Obviously, Kevin's mysterious genetic powers are more fantastic than we thought. They've put him in complete control. We are still flying blind, says Hercules. If I didn't know better, I'd say the strongest man in the world is afraid of a little height. We'll be winging over those great lakes in no time at all. 
And uh, nine and a half hours later, we shift scenes to a dry lake bed that used to be Lake Ontario. Not a drop of water in any of the lakes, says Jennifer. All these stories about a drought on this side of the world must be true. Look to the west, Jennifer. It appears some forms of animal life still thrive. And they, they look down and they see giant Dalmatians. Well, where, where have we seen that before? Oh my gosh, Dalmatians, says Jennifer. I had a Dalmatian for a pet once, Hercules. Gentle as a lamb and obedient, too. They're running over here to greet us, Jennifer. I know I am not that familiar with the species, but do these dogs often grow to be six feet high? And the, the uh, three of them, including the dog, um, Kevin's dog, uh, go out of the uh, plane, and they are approaching these uh, giant Dalmatians. Easy, Basil. They're friendly, says Kevin. I don't understand it. Unless the fallout over here has been concentrated enough to cause mutations. And Hercules is looking at these things. He says, I trust their intelligence wasn't expanded with their size. Otherwise, they shall be offended when I started their bulk. Can it, Hercules, says Jennifer. Check out the horizon in the middle of the lake bed. Sunlight's glinting off something shiny, gleaming off a helmet. And these armored figures are approaching Hercules and company. The uh, guy says, Well, Douglas, what do you make of it? I'm not sure. It could be one of Scuba's blocks. It fits the descriptions. Let's see if I can lift it. It's uh, Gardner Grail, of course. He's the leader of the Atomic Knights, and he can't lift it. And the other guy is like, Gardner, you don't need a hernia. Oh, can't budge it. That's a good sign. Let's see if I can chip it. And a voice comes out from the side. Hold, armored one. And, and of course, that's Hercules. And then Gardner looks aside and says, Eh? Who is that guy? He has a voice like a PA system. That block is deadly, says Hercules. Hercules must keep you away from it. Far away. And he grabs the armored character and he throws him far away. And the other guy comes up by Hercules and he says, But if you're Hercules, I'm Sir Lancelot, pal. Let's see if... Ow! And he tries to punch Hercules, but uh, his fist just bounces off and and he gets hurt, even with his armor on. You too must stay away, says Hercules. And he takes the other armored guy and he throws him as well. Not not thinking that, you know, maybe it would hurt to throw them for, you know, half mile or whatever. Anyway. Who? I get the feeling this fellow could pound our armor into tinfoil without even flexing, but I don't plan on giving him the chance. A wide-angle blast from my atom pistol will certainly knock him out of his boots. And he pulls his atom pistol out, and he shoots it, and uh, there's a big explosion. Uh, Knocks Hercules aside, but uh, other than that, not anything. And he says, I don't believe it. He still stands. Now what? My pistol, and his pistol started to glow, and some sort of energy is cascading from it. And we see that the cause of that is Kevin, and Kevin is... um, Gumby, apparently. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, not not the greatest uh, panel here. But, I mean, the, the proportions are not right for Kevin. But anyway, he's got the sort of energy cascading out and he's uh, making the gun glow. Grail is saying, uh, the boy, somehow we overloaded it from there. He must wield some sort of weird power. Isn't anyone normal in this group? I'm almost afraid to ask what the dog does. Everybody, just hold it a minute, says Jennifer. Seems to me we're all on the same side, you know? And so we have a little bit of a gap here, and it says, Then Hercules formally meets Gardner Grail and Douglas Harold, two members of the famous Atomic Knights. And we get a, um, an, an editor's note here. 
Veteran readers already know the Atomic Knights, a small band of World War III survivors who adopted ancient armor for protection against radioactivity. You want to be called Hercules? You got it. As for why we're here, look around you. This was once one of the world's largest lakes. Major bodies of water are dry all over North America, all because of the evil experiments of one man, a scientist called Dr. Scuba, who incredibly perfected a process for compressing the molecules in enormous bodies of water and solidifying them into blocks. And there's a reference here to OMAC issues 7 and 8. We don't know what happened to Scuba, but we do know what happened to Lake Ontario. It's been compressed into the block that you kept us away from. Over here, guys, says Jennifer, a small chip of this stuff. Now we have a test sample to take back with us. Negative. Even a fragment that size would weigh hundreds of pounds. I hold the chip in my hand, says Hercules. He picks it up. Shall we proceed to your colleague Bryden in that lab tent you spoke of? Um... And I don't remember them actually speaking of it, but that must have happened between pages. Good Lord, says one of the guys. And the knights uh, get on their uh, giant Dalmatians, and Kevin's on one of them, and Jennifer's on the other, and they're holding the knights are behind. Hercules is just going to run alongside them, and there they go riding off, and yeah, Hercules is keeping up easily. Douglas, with that kind of strength, do you think he really could be? Why not, says Douglas. One thing World War Three has taught us, anything's possible. There's our camp ahead. And uh, they call out, says, uh, Bryden, it's Gardner, we're back. And it says, uh, the, the caption shows a bunch of... Uh, Armor pieces and a skeleton laying around. So, yeah, this uh, something has happened. So, I don't know if this is continuing another story, but whatever's happening here doesn't make a lot of sense. Anyway, unknown to other scientist Brydon Smith no longer exists, for he has been consumed by a being of pure energy spawned by a 50 megaton blast that exploded a half buried meteorite. Uh, looks like we have a uh, uh, some sort of a creature's skeleton here, too. I'm assuming one of the Dalmatians, but anyway. But it says here, whatever form of life thrived in the meteorite before, it couldn't have been as deadly as the mutated hybrid which destroyed Brindon Smith. I'll be right out, Gardner. There's a voice in the, uh, the little pieces of armor reassembling themselves. And it says, uh, a being that can perfectly mimic a voice or seize control of matter. Just give me a second to pull myself together. And there's like a, the armor's forming together like a puzzle. And the armor walks out and being friendly to the rest of the people. He says, so what have you brought for me? Some new friends. And the most interesting sample, says Gardner. And so they, they bring him this little uh, piece of, of the compressed water, whatever it is. Hmm, where did you find this, Gardner? In the middle of the Ontario lake bed. There's a large block of it. It says here, for a moment the energy being seems transfixed, for it sees far more than the others. It sees food. And the energy being that used to be Brindon is thinking to himself, I must have more of this. The potential energy in these compressed molecules can be mine. And uh, Gardner, he's taking his helmet off and he's, he's talking to, to uh, Brindon. He says, Brindon, what's wrong? You're acting like you don't even recognize a chip from one of Scuba's water blocks when you see it. Brindon, a.k.a. the energy being, you can see that uh, energy is sparking inside his helmet. And uh, he's thinking to himself, Danger! Merely being close to that small sample has already begun to excite my own atoms. I can no longer contain myself. You must exercise extreme caution with this substance, says Hercules. It can cause catastrophe. Something about your fellow knight I find most strange, says Hercules to Gardner Grail. 
I think you had better examine his faceplate. And Bryden, a.k.a. the Energy Knight or whatever, does not like that idea, and he decides he's going to punch Hercules, which he does with a bwonk, and knocks Hercules back, and he runs out of this little lab, whatever it is, little capsule thing, and he grabs one of the Dalmatians, goes riding off. He's taking one of the Dalmatians, says Gardner, and I will take the other, says Hercules. And they go running off on these uh, two Dalmatians into the Lake Ontario lake bed. Hercules is thinking to himself, he seems to be progressing directly towards the water block, but I know not why. And eventually Hercules uh, is able to catch up to uh, the armored character, jumps off the dog, just as the armored scourge is about to reach its objective. This time do not fight back, says Hercules. It would not go well with you. And he tackles the uh, the energy knight to the ground, and they're just shy of this giant uh, block of, of water, which is, you know, about the size of a brick anyway. And the, the, the knight gets up, and Hercules says, By the gods, he is on his feet already, and delivering blows worthy of Atlas. And he's just hammering on Hercules, and uh, <laughs> the knight is saying, You have doomed yourself, interloper. Now that the water block is only a few feet away, I am getting stronger, stronger, stronger. And he's punching him over and over again. And Hercules gives him a a big kick with a thwack and kicks him back. And Hercules is saying, perhaps, but it takes more than strength alone to quell the son of Zeus. Now, while you are down, I shall see that you remain that way. And he's kind of wrestling him to the ground. And the energy knight is like, Your persistence is admirable, but so futile. Every second the water block charges me with more energy. I have already surpassed the level of your strength many times. The only question remaining now is how much I decide to draw out the agony of your death. And and the armor is glowing uh, more than it was before. And Hercules decides that the thing to do would be to go tackle this water block thing and uh, try to... um, do something with that, and he he wrestles himself free and leaps towards the water block, and the armored guy is going, hold still, you craven barbarian. And Hercules is thinking, my foe may have mentioned the source of his power once too often. Perhaps he can be rent asunder by it. So Hercules starts to punch this little block of of water, (laughs) and uh, he's trying to dent it, I guess. Uh, But anyway, uh, he's thinking to himself, now I have five seconds to lift it. If I can lift it with one hand, it's equal to the weight of millions of gallons of water. And uh, the the captions are counting down three seconds, two seconds, one second anyway. Um, He grabs the armored uh, knight's uh, visor and he says, I have something for you, evil one. And he takes the block of water that I guess contains all the water in Lake Ontario and he shoves it inside the helmet of the uh, Sir Brynden's armor. He says, I'll show you where it can be put. Yeah, so he does that. And all of a sudden, there's a enormous explosion, absolutely huge explosion of water. Uh, it's all the, obviously all the water that was taken and put in that cube is exploding outward. And it says here, imagine all the water of an immense lake compressed into a single cube. Now imagine all that water suddenly and instantly expanding, reverting to its original form from inside a suit of armor. Can you imagine even one molecule inside that armor staying intact after this? And it's just this huge deluge that's uh, pouring out of that. Can even an immortal man-god survive such a spectacular eruption of force? 
And we shift scenes to what is once again the edge of Lake Ontario. The uh, yeah, people are all there, the two Atomic Knights, and of course, Kevin and Jennifer. Oh, Kevin, I don't see him anywhere. And then somebody says, wait, over there. I, I think it's supposed to be Kevin, but Kevin wouldn't be able to see it. So I don't know. Anyway, wait, over there. It's him, says Kevin, even though he can't actually see what's going on. And Hercules comes kind of bursting his way out of the water. Gardner Grail's like, I don't believe it. He's all right. Still in one piece. Then he has to be Hercules. And we have Jennifer there doing some kind of a boogie down disco move. And that is the end. Okay. All right. So we do have a few things to say about this issue. And we'll be saying them right after this message. The Fantastic Arts is your guide to the Fantastic Four from the beginning of the Marvel Age of Comics. Each week, Steve Lacey and Andy Leyland cover each issue, spin-off, guest appearance and cameo of Marvel's first family. And in 2019, we begin our journey through the neon decade, the 1980s. Join us as we cover... All-time classic runs from John Byrne and Walt Simonson. She-Hulk and Sharon Ventura join the Fantastic Four. The Invisible Girl No More, here comes The Invisible Woman. Spin-off series including Marvel 2-in-1 and The Thing. Marvel's Secret Wars, The Trial of Reed Richards and more. Find us at thefantasticast.com on iTunes and all other podcast services. The Fantasticast. Insert catchy tagline here. Wait, what? And we are back. And of course, we have a few comments about the issue, as we always have. So I'm going to say something nice about this issue before I launch into my, my scathing review. But and that is that the idea of the story is not in itself a bad idea. We actually start off with this idea that this uh, compressed water, you know, is this incredibly dangerous stuff. And this is actually a carryover, as the editor's note said, from OMAX issue number seven and eight. Those were the last two issues that Jack Kirby did on OMAX. So this was before, you know, any of the revivals and stuff that came later. But um, this uh, storyline with Dr. Scuba is exactly that. He con- condensed all of the water in the, the Western Hemisphere, basically, into these uh, super, super heavy blocks that OMAC was able to lift, actually. So it's an interesting idea. And, of course, they took this right over into this issue. Uh, we also have the uh, rather bizarre inclusion of the Atomic Knights, uh, which are supposed to also exist in this continuity. DC is trying to get this sort of great disaster timeline kind of put together. We have you know, Hercules, OMAC, and the Atomic Knights all basically existing at the same time. Don't know how much sense that actually makes. I, I don't think that the whole Brother I OMAC thing really fits, but. DC is trying. They're trying to, to fit this together. And unfortunately, while there's some interesting ideas here, they just do a rather poor job of it. The story really doesn't make any sense. The storytelling is not good. We have a new writer here, Carrie Bates, kind of jumping into this. I think they were trying to save this book by any means necessary, but they're not doing what it actually would take to rescue the book. In other words, good writing good art. So once again, we have Simonson and Leighton on the art. And once again, we have Walt Simonson just doing the very, very basic layouts. 
and then Leighton doing the finishes. Sometimes this works rather well. I think the cover's rather good. There's a few things in this issue that you are recognized as sort of a proto Simonson style, you know, something of, of the familiar Simonson and a few of the panels, uh, particularly the panels of the flying wing, which I think they did a pretty good job of, of portraying. But at the same time, you have these really, really poor story that they're hanging all of this on. And Hercules being able to punch the, the water to refill Lake Ontario. Do you have any idea of how much water that actually is? One of the things that has come up a few times in the story is the sense of scale that you would need for things like the Great Disaster. And you had also would have this, this block of water that is basically all of Lake Ontario made into a, a block the size of a brick with all the weight that that would imply. I don't think that the writer had any real idea, A, of how big Lake Ontario was or how much water would have to be confined in this little space. And then kind of setting it off near the shore where they were, unless they were all meant to be in the bottom of Lake Ontario to begin with, which I doubt, you know, it's it's kind of like the grasp of, of UK geography that, that we've shown, or I should say the lack of a grasp of UK geography that has been shown in the, the earlier parts of the series, that things are just way too close together. This world is tiny. And so there's a lot of things here that don't work. And I could analyze why it doesn't work, but the, the fact of the matter is it's a crappy story. The art is fairly shitty. There's nothing too mockable about the art in this issue. There's a few panels that really, really don't work, but it's not something that's worth posting. Uh, it just It's just lousy art. Shading on faces, uh, the inks, is just is just blah. You know, it's a good thing that Bob Layton actually became a really good inker later because this is not a promising start for him. If, if I were the, the editor in charge of hiring and I saw the, the artwork on this issue, I would not want to hire that person again. What gets me, and this is more, I think, a marketing thing on DC's part than anything else, is the letters pages in these Hercules issues. I haven't really been talking about them, but it's letter after letter just raving about how wonderful the series is and how, how compelling these ideas are. I think the most compelling idea that we've had in the series so far is, is a talking gorilla. <laughs> that's, that's, that's not all that good, really. So yeah, there's there's a few things to like about the issue, but by and large, it's not really good. Is it the worst of the issues to date? I don't know. We get to see the uh, the Atomic Knights, and I'm I'm guessing that this is carrying on a uh, a plot line from an Atomic Knight story that we haven't seen since they've basically killed off one of the Atomic Knights in the story by making him an, an energy being. So this isn't referenced in footnotes or anything, so I'm not even sure what's going on here. Did one of the Atomic Knights get destroyed and turn it into an energy being and we just not see it? I, I'm guessing that that may have happened, but 
who knows, you know, because we don't actually get that context here. And that, that's kind of lazy on their part. All right. So I think with that, it's time to wrap up the issue. Once again, folks, thanks very much for listening. We really do appreciate it. And of course, if you want to email the show, you can do so. The email address is radiofreeasgard at gmail.com. With that, I am back over the Atlantic in a flying wing, going back to Lake Michigan, which has turned into a giant brick of water. And we'll see you next time here on Radio Free Asgard. Radio Free Asgard is copyright Tom Harris USA Productions, which is totally responsible for its content. The characters, stories, and situations presented on this program are copyright their respective copyright holders and are presented for entertainment, review, and educational purposes only. No ownership is implied. We make no money from this podcast, and the contents are believed to be covered under fair use. If you like what you've heard on today's program, we'd appreciate it if you leave us an iTunes review, send us an email with your feedback, tell your friends, if you have any, or annoy your coworkers with our incoherent ramblings and silly voices. Thanks once again for listening to Radio Free Asgard. <laughs>